0: ever feel chained? (laughs) Seriously, have you ever thought about a time in your life where you're just like, I just feel chained? Maybe chained by the circumstance of your past. Maybe chained by something that's happened to you personally, some baggage that you carry. Maybe you're at Regen on Monday nights because you go, I just feel like I'm chained and I want to be set free. Maybe it's in the area of finances. This last Thursday, we had 81 people at Financial Peace University. Yes, yeah, let's give the Lord a hand for that. Which is an encouraging thing because that represents over 35 families who go, we don't wanna be chained to our finances anymore. But can I just tell you like there's one thing that I feel like chains us here at Stone Point. And I really feel like it chains me in terms of all that's kind of going on. And that would be this area of finances. The area that I just feel like, man, it's gripped us so much. That we really don't even understand like how we move forward. And so I personally am ready, like for me personally, just to start taking these things off. You understand what I'm saying? Like I want, I want to be free of the chains. Yes? Like I don't, I don't want to be bound by chains in ministry. I don't want that to determine where we're going in our future. But if that's gonna happen, then you and I are gonna to have to get very serious about what we're doing and particularly around the area of finances. And so the question is, is this, have you ever realized what happened if an elephant stepped on your toe? It hurt, right? And so today, the biggest elephant that we've addressed so far in this series is the elephant we're gonna talk about today. And that's the, the area of finances at Stone Point Church. Now, I'll tell you that oftentimes we, look back on this area of finances, and we personally take a lot of the blame. As a leader here at Stone Point, one of the things that I determined early on in the history of our church that we were not gonna do was bombard people with the obligation of finances. That's been really good because at Easter services, people come and they never hear us say anything. One of the most common things I hear at our starting point class, which is happening today at 1.30, if you want to be a part of Stone Point, you want to learn more about it, come and hang out. But people ask me all the time, Brandon, I don't even know how to give, man. I have no idea where we put it. I mean, do we just give it to you? And I'm like, no, don't give it to me. Just put it in one of our boxes. But we just don't talk about it. But because of that, it also means that in some ways it's chained us. And so for one thing that we wanted to be really about saying, hey, we don't want to focus too much on on finances has also come back to bite us in some ways because we never talk about finances. But the challenge is this. How do we find the balance? Because here's the reality. In three weeks, we're going to have 1,500 different people on our campuses between here and in Edgewood, and we will not raise more than $1,500 on that Sunday. On baptisms, we have those three times a year off campus, and on those, we typically don't raise more than a $100 bill on those Sundays. And so we obviously are losing momentum in some areas, and that's our fault. But the bottom line is, is that you and I realize that giving should be a priority. And I think giving, when you think about it, you think about it one of two ways. One, you think about it as something I have to do or something I get to do. Well, I came from a coaching family. My dad was a football coach, so all my brothers are football coaches. My uncles, my cousins, all of them are coaches, right? And I started thinking about their philosophy of coaching. I started thinking about like what does it look like when they speak to their team in the very first part of the season, and I realized that they never once tell their team, "If you want to be on my team, you need to show up at 5 a.m. and you need to show up at 5 a.m. every day, and you need to start by running three miles." After three miles, we're going to do 100 yards of bear crawls. After bear crawls, we're going to go to the weight room. And if you want to be on our team, you should never miss one of those things. Yet they take the approach and they say, listen, boys, this is going to be a long season. And there's going to be some rough days ahead. And all we're asking is that you would give all of your heart, that you would be committed to excellence, that you would work diligently, that you would show up, that you would be on time, that you would be prepared, that you would be ready to go. And I hope that you'll give everything you have because that's all I can ask for. Now, let me ask you a question. Which one of those is a more compelling vision? The more compelling vision is the latter, right? The one who goes, listen, you're going to be on our team. Now, here's the deal. Do you really believe that the coach who has the latter approach is taking the standard and dropping it? No, he's actually calling you to a greater standard. Why? Because he's appealing to your character and to your heart. And he's li- literally saying, if you want to be a part of our team, it's not about what you do for me in these moments. It's about what you do for your team all the time. And so the way that I want to think about the area of giving is this, not something you have to do because somehow or another, somebody's convinced you over time that you have to give 10%, but that giving is actually not a reflection of what we have to do, but of the coach himself, Jesus, who's calling us to something greater. And the question that you have to answer is, is the current giving state that you're in a reflection of legalism or a better question is a reflection of Jesus at all? If you would say, I am on his team, the question is, is, would he say, man, your heart really reveals that? Oh, man, I'm really committed to his cause. Awesome. Does your giving reveal that? Because he's just asking us to be 100% on board with his plan for the world. Amen? And so that's what he's calling us to. Now, the question I think that oftentimes people ask is, do I have to give a tithe? Now, let me explain something to you. To me, this is a non-essential in our church, but I would say that we could take across the room and we could go 50-50 or even 60-40. 60 probably would go, yes, you need to tithe. That's something we're supposed to do. Another 40% said, no, I don't know that we have to tithe. I mean, we live under a grace base. We're not under the law. I mean, we have the freedom. We can kind of pick and choose. And so the question really is, is what's biblical? What's not? Well, here's the deal. Jesus addressed the area of tithing twice. He mentioned the word tithe twice. One time was in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 okay, which we're going to look at in a second. The other time he mentions it is in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Both times he's speaking to a group of people. I bet you can't guess. The Pharisee. And both times he's addressing patterns that go on. Now, I'm not going to read the one from Luke, but I am going to reveal to you and read the one in Matthew chapter 23. Now, in Matthew chapter 23, you're also going to hear Jesus say some rather harsh things about these men. He's going to say things like, hey, you were like a a whitewashed tomb. He goes, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're a bag full of dead men's bones. He's going to go, you're like a cup, and externally you clean it, but on the inside it's just nasty. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you would drink coffee out of a cup that's been sitting there for three days, kind of got that moldy, you know, that little hairy stuff growing on top? Yeah, you wouldn't, right? He goes, that's what a Pharisee looks like. And so then he addresses in, in Matthew 23, verse 23, this very thing. And he had, he's going to hit him head on with this idea of a tithe. And look what he says. He goes, woe to you, you scribes and you Pharisees. You're hypocrites. Why? Because you tithe, mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You go, well, I don't even know what Jesus is saying there. (laughs) Well, let me say, uh, it's three things. And he's showing you very clearly what he's saying. Number one, he goes, yeah, you're giving a 10% of your deal and your mint and your cumin and all these things because you've neglected the number one priority. And that is just to love me. Just to love the coach. Not to worry about getting up early at five in the morning, run three miles, doing a hundred yards of bear crawls and then go into the weight room and go, hey, look what I've done. I'm a part of the team but just to enjoy the grace of Jesus and to love him and fully embrace the idea of God. That's what he wanted these Pharisees to understand. Just love God. And they loved God through action rather than just embracing a rest and a good God. But here's the deal. He didn't want just them to love God, but they knew that, he knew that if he loved God, then something would follow. In 1 John chapter 4, John, he says it this way, because God has first loved us, we will what? love other people. That's why we love others. That's the one thing that I teach my kids. We pray almost every night, God, help us to love others because you have first loved us. And so the second thing he wants us to see is because we love God, we should not neglect loving others. Now, the question is, how do you love others? Does that mean that you take some cookies to your neighbor and, oh, we love them? Or, hey, we just accept? No, here's the deal. Loving others is that you're intric- integrated into the things that are happening around you. What are they? Mercy, faithfulness, justice. This week, I I wrote a little text out, or a little tweet, and and it was just simply this. What if people knew more about what you're for than what you're against? But the question is, is this, how many times do you hear churches take a stance on something that, that they're against, but they never tell you what they're for? Well, here's the deal. Here's what I'm for. I am for meeting the needs in this area. I am for meeting the needs of people that they could come and they could find refuge here. That when they need benevolence and they need help in some way, I hope they call us. And you would be surprised over the last six years how many phone calls I have personally taken who said, Brandon, look, I got your number from someone in the area. I go to such and such church. We don't have any funds. They won't help me, but they told me to call you. And we go, hey, we're glad you called. Can you us just a little bit of information? I'm going to pass you on to our guy, Dick Patterson, who he takes care of everything outside of our, our realms. And, and within 48 hours, Dick has not only assisted them, but we've met every need that they could have possibly had. Now there are a handful of cases we don't meet a need, and that is when we feel like you are taking advantage of the system. But outside of that, we are pretty generous. I cannot recall a time where someone genuinely had a need that we've ever told them no. And I want to be known for that. I want to be known for that. And the Pharisees didn't. They wanted to be known for tithing on the 10% of mint, cumin, and deal. They didn't want to be known for loving God and loving people. They wanted people to live up to their expectation as opposed to us loving God and us figuring out what it looks like to other, love other people. Understand? But here's the deal. Jesus says, you should love God, love mercy, love justice, love faithfulness. And then he says, but guys. Pharisees, don't neglect to do the former. So he's not tossing out the idea of the tithe, he's just saying, make sure that the tithe is in priority. And here's why, typically people look at the tithe one of two ways. One, there's many of us in here that today we go, I tithe and I give 10% so I don't have to serve anywhere in the church. And I've been there, I've done that, I served when I was younger, it's time for someone else to do it. That's unbiblical and it's a very bad idea of the tithe. The second is something similar, and that is I don't tithe money, I tithe of my time. And so I serve a lot and and I just serve and serve because I don't think I need to give. Well, Jesus goes, no, you have to throw both of those out of the window. Here's why, because when you love God, love other people, he goes, you're gonna have the heart of the coach. When you have the heart of the coach, guess what? You're gonna show up and you're gonna give to the cause. Agree? Amen? That's what Jesus is trying to say there. And so the deal is, is this. You go, okay, so are we supposed to tithe? Well, Jesus is addressing who? Pharisees in both cases. So what about us? Well, here's the deal. Jesus has a lot to say about the area of finances, but the two times that he mentions the word tithe, which means literally a 10%, which most of us grew up in church learning, like, hey, if you don't give 10%, you're not a good Christian. Well, what does Jesus say about it? Well, he goes on in Luke chapter 3, verse 11, he says this, and he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. What's interesting is you read that closely, that's not 10%, that's 50%. If you have two, give one away. In Luke chapter 19, verse 8, in Zacchaeus, he stood there after his conversion. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus goes, I'm going to give half away, again, 50%. And I'm going to pay restitution 40% of all the people I've stolen. Wow. How many of you are there in your giving? <laughs> uh, records indicate nobody should have raised their hand, including me. But Jesus, he raises the bar, doesn't he? Hadn't he always done that? I mean, he seemed to do that on lust. He seemed to do that on everything. I mean, he seemed to do it on sin. Hey, if, you're, if your hand causes you sin, cut it off. I mean, he's always raising the bar. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, there's a rich young ruler who comes to him. And he goes, Jesus, I've upheld all the law. And Jesus goes, oh, well, that's fine. That's awesome. And then Jesus says to him in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go, sell all you possess and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. He goes, give 100% away and come and follow me. Wow. Pretty high standard. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So therefore, any of you who do not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus gives the idea that you should leave everything. Come and follow me. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, you see the early church. We referred to it last week when we were talking about community in our journey groups. In verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and their goods and they distributed them all as they had need. So do you see that? They had all things in common. They sold all their possessions and they gave all of them as all had need. All, 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 all. Pretty big bar, right? Acts four thirty four. There was not a needy person among them in the early church. For as many as there were possessors of lands or houses, they sold them. They brought all the priest proceeds, all again, of what was sold, and they laid it all at the apostles' feet. All, all, all. 2 Corinthians 8, 2 and 3, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of generosity in their part. For they gave not according to their means, as I can testify, but they went beyond their means of their own accord. The Macedonian church, they were gonna give to the early church in in Jerusalem and, and they go, hey, we're gonna raise a fund. They called the Philippian church to be a part of it as well. There were churches like Corinth who were backing out of the deal. Oh yeah, we'll do it. They back out and guess what? They go, they gave beyond their means. Again, a high value, right? Paul, did he ever mention the word tithe? Is it ever mentioned again? No, but he did seem to lay out some standard of giving. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, verse two, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. 2 Corinthians 8, three, they gave according to their means and beyond their means for their own accord. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must do as he has made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a what? Cheerful giver, right? And then Second Corinthians 9, 8, the verse right after that, God is able to provide you with every blessing and abundance so that you may always have enough and everything and may provide an abundance to every good work. So what is Paul calling people to? Well, here it is. Number one, he goes at the very first of the week, lay something aside. It gives you the idea of an Old Testament laying something aside. Like it's the first fruit, like put it aside. Now here's the interesting, this is why I love financial peace and Dave Ramsey. The very first line of the budget is, what are you giving away? And then you allocate your budget from there. Interesting, all Americans flip it, right? We go, here's our budget and let's see what I can give away. Which if we do that, guess what? We have nothing to give away at the end. Agree? That's just true. That's true for me too. And so Paul goes, hey, according to 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of the week, lay something aside. Then secondly, you see that the early church, they gave beyond their means. They didn't continually ask the question, hey, what should I give? But they began to ask the question, what should I keep? It was a different mindset. And so he goes, give beyond me. Number three, he goes, you should give what? Joyfully, not under compulsion, not to guilt, And so I hope you understand the gate today or we're gonna give you some really difficult things to think on. It's not for guilt purposes because ultimately I know there's two promises. One, Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And then the other promise that you see from Psalm 50 is that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so he doesn't need more cattle. He'll, He'll create anything that he needs. So I rest in that, but we can still give joyfully. And then the last one is they trusted God to provide in their abundance. Now what's interesting is I started reading an article and it was a few months back I noticed it and someone sent it again to me recently from Relevant Magazine. And the question was, is what would happen if people in the church began to give generously? So right now in the average church, 10 to 25% of congregants would actually maintain what an Old Testament tithe was. Just say a 10th of your your, uh, salary, right? So 10 to 25% in the average church. Now, what's interesting is, is that if those numbers were escalated, then we would be able to begin to see giving go from the average of 2.5% per Christian to what, about 10% per Christian. And if that was to happen, then guess what? We would see an additional $165 billion for Christian churches to distribute in America. Now, if you had $165 billion to distribute annually, then the question is, what could you do with it? Well, $25 billion could relieve global hunger in five years. $12 billion would eliminate all the illiteracy problems that we have worldwide in five years. $15 billion would solve all the world's health, sanitation, and water needs, and it would increase water to where 1 billion people live on less than a dollar a day. And we would be able to fund all the missionaries across all denominational lines with a billion dollars and that would supply all their work and it would leave us a reserve of a hundred billion dollars still left for all of our ministry reserves and purposes that we wanted to do here in the States. That's if the church came together, right? Right? And so the question that you may go is, well, why is the church not doing that? Well, here's what American statistics show. American statistics would say that 25 or 20% of the church is making up 80% of their local budget. Statistics would reveal that the other 20 to 30% are making up the 20% of their budget. And there's 50% of all congregants that are not giving anything recorded within the local church. Pretty alarming, right? And of course, as the leader at Stone Point and being an optimist, I'm like, I know that's not the trend here. And then I had our financial team start digging in. And guess what? It's not that bad, but it's pretty darn close. Adults by number, the statistics I'm gonna give you today are based off of 655 adults, which is basically our average adults per weekend. It's not all of our adults because this month alone, we're gonna have 1,000 adults on both of our campuses. But let's just take conservative figures that you see that we're accurate on everything we say. Numbers by adults, 25% of our adults give 75% of our budget. The other 25% of our adults make up the other 25% of our budget. And 50%, one out of every two adults or families in here, I could pick and choose. And there is no recorded gift to date this year towards our annual budget. Now, of course, we do have cash and not everybody earmarks that cash. And so we are taking that into account. So let me give you a better picture based off the cash we received in our annual budget. I think it's better to say that 25% of our adults make up 75% of our annual budget, and then you could go as far as to say 30% give up the remaining 25 and that leaves 45% of our adults, which is still statistically alarming that don't give anything at all. Understand? You got your head around that? Okay, well, it's just the beginning. Here we go of the 25% that make up 75% of our budget, so one-fourth of the adults that make up the majority of our budget, only 16% of them give above the median income in Van Zandt County, which is currently $47,000 annually. Now, let's just break those down by comparison. 47,000, 10% of that is what? 4,700, okay? It's simple math, okay? That's 10%. That would be $392 a month or $90 a week. Got me? That would be if you based it off that. Now, let me show you numbers by campus. Right now, our Edgewood campus, nine miles down the road, they make up 25% of our, our numbers, meaning They're 25% of our overall church in terms of people, and we're 75% in terms of people, which makes the point that if they're 25% and we're 75%, we ought to carry 75% of the load here, and they ought to carry what? 25% of the load there. So here's the Edgewood campus. 25% of the load is $190,000 on a $760,000 budget, which is our budget for this year. That would be $3,654 a week or $23.57 per adult. You got that? Yes? Shake your head, yes. Good. I, don't, I just wanted that. There's a lot of stuff, right? So the, the deal is that would be 25% of the number. On Edgewood right now, that campus, they are giving 14% of the budget, which equates to $2,046 per week, both in person and online, all gifts received which brings the account to $106,392 annually and $13 per person per week. Okay? Wills Point Campus. You guys make up 75% of our church, but you're giving 86% of the annual budget. Okay? 86% of the annual budget makes up $653,600 and it equates to $25 per person. Wow. Yeah, you want to clap for yourself? Don't. Okay, don't. Here's why. On average, the American church gives twenty-six dollars per person, average. But that includes children. If you took the children out of the equation, you took that same money. It means that the average person in here to just fit the American church across the general in general should be thirty-two dollars per adult we are statistically under in both categories. One almost $20 under and one about $10 under. Pretty alarming, right? Now here's the deal, you could say, well, Brandon, you do realize that we're one of the poorest counties in Van Zandt County. You do realize that we live under hard socioeconomic challenges. I mean, our school district is one of the most economic challenge. You know that that evades the church and so you can't compare us to everyone. Well, listen, remember, I'm giving conservative figures of $47,000 annually. And so we probably could take the time and and should take the time to realize that 75% of the people in this room make more than $47,000 annually. And so I am taking you and I have made everyone in this room as low as socioeconomically as you could possibly be outside of about 4% probably in this room of singles that do not quite meet that barrier, but they meet above a $30,000 threshold. Understand? So I'm giving you some accurate numbers based off of all of that. Now, the question is Is this. What if something happened in, in our church that changed some of that? Let's say we just took the $26 per week that we see, and let's base that off of our average attendance of 800 people, including kids. That would be $20,800 a week, Multiply that by 52, and you would get $1.1 million, which is $400,000 more than our annual budget right now. Wow! That's just the average. Got it? Now, the question is, is Brandon, like, why are you telling us all this, dude? Like, I get it, okay? We don't give enough. Are we in a bind? Or is it time, like, you're about to hit something with us, like, we don't have enough money to make budget? No, here's the deal. We're gonna make budget, barely, okay? It's not a budget issue. The deal is this, I started thinking about why we started Stone Point. I started thinking about the things that I feel like God's calling us to do. Can I just share it with with you? Can I dream with you for just a second? And can I tell you that my dream is something I'd like to institute tomorrow? So here it is. I would like to to plant 10 new churches every year for the next decade, that'd be 100 churches. 10 new churches this year would increase our budget right now from being able to help one plant to nine more. That would increase our budget by $50,000 annually just to help 10 churches. This year alone, I would like to send 40 plus adults on mission trip. And I would like to to pay for 75% of their trip. I want them to have some skin in the game. I want them to have 25% of the cost, but I would like them to, to not have to worry about being sent okay? Right now, we have in our resources allocated for $100 per person. I would like to pay for half or 75% of their trip, yes? Then as they get on that land, the most valuable thing that we could do for the people we go to see is not us showing up with a a nice American face. It's not coming and them go, oh, oh, wow, white guy. (laughs) The greatest thing is for us to show up and thus bless them with something in addition to what we have. And so what if you and I took another $1,000 and we handed it to them right there on the current needs they have? Yes, wouldn't that be mind blowing? So to do that, that would take twenty-five dollars to $50,000 a year in addition. I would love to serve our community better than what we do now. We're doing an awesome job in some areas. I love the fact that we have Sonic Drinks. There are some of you that you helped recently, and praise God for that. Thank you. You knocked it out of the park. We're going to have it again this week if you'd like to help. 9 a.m. at Sonic this Friday. Come be a part of it. We're going to finish the Wills Point campuses out. We want you to help. But what if we could do that twice as much? Think about the Bluebird Festival and the Christmas on the Bricks and the Heritage Festival and all the other things that we do. Think about the egg hunt that we do. Think about the community partnerships and outreach that we have. What if we could double what we do? Just doubling would, would add another five to $7,000. Pretty awesome, right? We have four strategic partners right now. We have MANA, that's a food bank in Canton. We have Hope Pregnancy Resource Center. We have MITC, which is the Mexican Indian Training Center. They're training students, sending it out to help fund and plant churches and do amazing things down in Mexico. Then we have Men and Women of Honor, which is on our middle school campus. Right now, we give each of them $3,600 a year. What if we increase that by twice as much? Wouldn't that be awesome? Then beyond that, get this, what if you and I were to have a couple more strategic partners. Well, if we did all that, that'd be about another $30,000 to $35,000 a year in increase. Now, here's something else I would love to do. I would love to increase our ministry potential here. Student ministry, kids ministry, they're knocking it out of the park. But every single week I go, hey guys, y'all got to kind of hold it back a little bit. You're, we can't spend that much, man. We got to make sure that we, you got camps coming. You got some big expenses. Don't overdo it. And I'm constantly having to go, hey, don't overdo it. Don't overdo it. But what if I said, hey, what's the greatest thing you want to do for our kids' ministry, our student ministry? Hey, what do y'all want to do in regen? How are we going to reach more people? Hey, what about regener- uh, regeneration moving from not just that, but to merge, help premaritals? What if we offered re for married couples? What if we just added more there, $25,000 there, just to help with ministry expenses, or $40,000 there to help with ministry expenses? Wouldn't that be awesome? Now here's something, what if You were able to help me fulfill my goal of blessing every single pastor in every single church in our county by them simply receiving on their birthday, on their wedding anniversary, or on their church anniversary a gift card from us saying thank you for your ministry, thank you for what you do in Vance County, thank you for your faithfulness to your marriage, and we were to bless them every single time because here's what I realized: although we oftentimes are the spotlight of some negative attention because people aren't always like our growth and our expansion, what is if we bless them in such a way that they couldn't talk bad about us? I mean, it's hard to talk about a church when you're blessing their pastors all the time. And so this year I'm going to allocate about $2,000. That means I get to bless about 10 pastors with $25 here or $25 there. But what if we were able to allocate $25,000 to blessing other churches? Wouldn't that be awesome? You're like, dude, okay, man, something's up with you. (laughs) I want to be a blessing and not just the people who need Jesus, but the people who are currently in ministry. Why? Because a thousand pastors a year leave the ministry because their own people beat them up. So what if we could encourage them? That would be awesome. Now, listen, the other deal is this. Right now, we are three full-time staff members short of being able to be effective in ministry here. Our guys never take a break, rarely get good days off. They're always going. We could take the three part-time people right now and make them full-time. We could add $200,000 just to that. Beyond, I would love to adopt a place in the world that's really hard to minister to and take $50,000 and place it in a place like Vietnam or a place like the Sudan or a place in Tanzania or in Senegal, Africa. Like what would it happen if we began to really raise the stake? And then beyond that, here's a brilliant idea that just came across me not too long ago. What if we just allocated in our budget expansion costs so we don't have to come to the church and go, hey, why don't we raise some money to do this? Unfortunately, we're six years in, but right now we should have $100,000 in our budget annually just to help with Edgewood Campus and help do some of the things that they need to do and help add on places here because we always have lacked space here. The problem is all of that would cost us a little over $500,000. Wow, $760,000 budget. And to add that would what be $1.2 million would be what we need. Can I remind you though of something? Look at these Van Zant County numbers with me one more time. I just wanna make sure that we see this accurately. 47,000 annually, got it? That's 4,700 a year, that's $392 a month or $90 a week, yes? Now, conservatively, we're going to take those numbers, that 655 that I gave you earlier, the adults we're basing off of, now we're going to divide that by two and add a few because not everybody in here is married. There's some singles in here that contribute to our cause every week. But just conservatively, let's say there's 350 families that could give $90 a week. That would be $26,000, right, a week, and it'd be $1.6 million in a year. Would that allow us to accomplish all we wanna do? And more, right? And here's the deal, that's based off a $47,000 median income. And so here's the hard facts, you ready for them? Our financial issue is not money related. Do you understand? Our budget is $760,000. That brings it down to $14,615 per week or $22 an adult. We're already under national giving and we're not including kids. You bring all of them in there and our budget goes up $400,000 instantly if we just start meeting American average. So it's not a money issue. Please don't use the we're in a low socioeconomic place. That's not even a valuable argument, okay? It's not a financial money issue. Agreed? So if it's not a money issue, then it must be something that Jesus said, and that must be that's a heart issue. And so Jesus says it in Matthew chapter six, verses nineteen through twenty one, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you may wonder, well, I don't really understand that. Well, Billy Graham said it this way, if you wanna know a man's heart, go look at his checkbook. The problem is, is that no one in America writes checks anymore. (laughs) 80% of Americans this month won't write one check. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to start giving online and I need you to recur it. Why? Because that makes up for all of our challenges when we're not here on Easter. It means that you're not gonna write a check, right? But the bottom line is this. You go, I don't really know where my heart is. Follow your bank account. It'll show you. Do you love stuff? Do you have a hobby? Do you have an addiction? Do you love your kids' soccer and their baseball? I mean, you're, just follow it. You'll find it. Because Jesus says, where your money is, there your heart is also. That's where your treasure is. Now, see, here's the deal too. People say all the time, like, Brandon, if if we just had a board though and we knew what we were supposed to give every single week and we could just track that, then I would know when we were short and I could make up the difference. But here's what I want you to understand. The budget is not our goal, it's our plan. In every single church, they've made the budget the goal. Our budget is our plan. It helps us see where we're going, but it's not our goal. Our goal is to align our heart with our coach and to give everything we have, both the time, talent, and treasure to make a difference for him globally, all across the world, all across our nation, all across our state, and all across Van Zandt County. That's our goal. And I think we've been asking the wrong question. Should I give off of this or should I give off of that? The American average is two and a half percent per person. Most of us in here aren't doing that. And so the question is, is where do we go from there? Well, we, uh, we start with knowing where our heart is. And if you base it off of number three, our heart issue, I don't think is because we're bad people. I don't think it's that you don't wanna be a part of it. I don't think that's it. I think it comes down to a trust issue at the deepest level, it's a trust issue. God is going, I want you to trust me with all that you have. I want you to trust me with what you're doing, and you need to watch me do what only I can do. And in Malachi chapter 3, he told those believers in the Old Testament, he said, look, bring a full tithe into the storehouse, whether it be mint or dill or cumin, whatever, right? Right? whether it be what you're banking now, that there would be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is more need, he goes, test me. It's the one thing that God encourages us to test him on is this area of giving. He goes, watch and see if I don't take and do more with that 10% than you could have ever done with 100%. And see if I don't do more with your 90 than you could have done with your 100. Watch me, test me in that. So the deal is is this, it comes down to a trust issue. Are we going to trust our coach? Is he good? Is he benevolent? Is he going to take care of our needs? And I think he will. And so it leads us to our next steps. When you came in today, you got a card. And here's what I want you to understand. If you have this card, if you didn't get one, you can get one before you leave. But here's what I want you to hear. Listen, if you don't hear anything else today, I want this card back. Two weeks ago, we encouraged you to start praying for three people. And you know how many cards we got back? About 20%. Most of them were on the ground like that. I don't want that. I am asking, I am begging, I am pleading. Will you please, please drop that in the box when you leave? There's going to be two men standing there with baskets. You can stick that in there. And all I'm doing is asking you to take one next step. 50% or 45% of our people in here, you need to go from giving nothing to giving something. Last night, you bought two, two and a half gallons of bluebell, Costed $12, right? Help us help you, okay? You save the $12, we'll help you save the calories. And get this, if every single adult in our entire congregation did that, $12 extra, in one week, just something, not huge your Sonic drink, your four lattes, whatever. Our budget would increase $170,000 from Bluebell money in one year. So just go, I'm gonna give something. Understand, like, I'm not asking you to go, hey, I'm gonna give 10 or 12. No, just give something, just give something. Fine, is it $5? Is it $10? Is it $12? Just give something. The next goal, there are some of you that you're giving something. You give $25 a month, or or you give $10 a week, and that's great. We praise God for it. But here's what we want you to do. We want you to take a step forward to significant giving. Significant giving, think of it as a percentage. If you make $47,000 annually, like the median income, just go, I'm going to give 1% or I'm going to give 2%, or I'm going to give 4%. Just find a level in there that you feel comfortable with and go, I'm going to start giving there. Okay? And that's a huge step. Now, you could go, well, Brandon, I don't know, man. I mean, is that, is that really biblical, man? Are you really calling anything there? Um, yeah, if they're not giving anything, you're calling them to a lot. And I think Jesus is very pleased with that step, and I praise God for it because you're helping us make a difference. There's some of us that you're giving a small percentage, and it's time for you to be a threshold giver. Now, a threshold giver, what is that? A threshold giver is, think about that in the sense of a tither, a 10%. Now, you go, well, wait a second, why a threshold? Well, here's the deal. Jesus clearly raised the bar. You may be here, and you go, well, Brandon, I'm not really sure. Is it, is it law or grace? Are we bound to the tithe? Or? No, I, personally, I don't think that biblically you're bound to a tithe. Do you understand? I do not think it's required. I think a lot of people preach on it. Here's what I believe. I believe a tithe is the beginning of your giving and not the end. I believe Jesus is calling you far more. But there's some of you in here that that would be a good place to go. I'm going to go to a threshold giving. I'm going to give 10% of my annual income. I had one lady, she came up to me in tears after that service. And she said, we have given on my husband's income for years. And she said, in the Holy Spirit, when you started talking today and you're talking about blessing other churches, she said, I realized that I have never, ever, ever given on my own salary. We never have. I said, well, praise God. What's the next step? She goes, my next step is we're going to begin giving from there. I had another family. They came up to me afterwards, and she, they said, "Brand, we never tell you this, and we've been with you from the beginning. But they said, we believe so strongly in you and your leadership. And we're going from threshold givers to extravagant. And We don't know what that looks like yet, but God has blessed us beyond measure, and we are committed. And when you said that you're going to bless other pastors— you're going to do something for another church. I knew that I was at the right place. I knew it was a place that there was kingdom focus and that there was someone that wanted to make a difference for the cause of Christ. And you know that we're with you. And I'm like, that was the most encouraging thing. And they said, we're going to, we're going to be an extravagant giver. And that's the fourth step. Some of you, that's t- it's time to go extravagant. Extravagant is not asking what I should give, but what should I keep. God, I have no idea. And I don't know what that looks like. I encourage you to prayerfully consider it. But right now in your spirit, you know which step you should take and you need to pray about the details. But I'm asking you to walk out of this room, that you would take that card and that you would tell us your name and your next step. And then also know that when you walk out of these doors and you don't drop a card, we already got your name tag. So I know who didn't do it. Yeah, baby. (laughs) I promise I have better things to do and I will not go to that effort, okay? (laughs) But prayerfully, like understand that you don't have to pray about your next step because it's biblical. But you may need to pray about how that works in your next step. So just tell us your next step. But will you help us make a difference? Guys, We can do far more. Let me address one other quick thing as the elephant in the room, right? People ask in the Edgewood community, when are we going to build a building? When when, when are we going to do something there? And I want you to hear two things. Number one, we are a church of two locations and one people. And you may have heard, oh, wow, they're only carrying 14% of the budget. They're giving spot on what our people gave when we were at the same size in the first year. So what's happening over there is not alarming, but it needed to be brought to attention. The second thing is if we are one church, two locations, it means we're gonna help them get into a building. And I told them earlier, when are we gonna do that? You want in it? Well, I'll tell you, we can do it. But when are we gonna do it? When you start giving to the cause. If the bar's not raised, it's cheaper for us to stay in a school. There's going to come a day where Edgewood ISD goes, hey, we don't want you in our school anymore. They have been gracious to us, and I'll promise you that if we don't have the resources to do it, then that campus will come right here to this campus, and we will create an additional service. The reason why is we're not going to go to places where we don't have financially the ability to do it. Understand? But at the same time, we can help them And not only can we help them, we can help us expand. And what I'm telling you is this, we don't have to put a precedence in buildings. We can put a precedence on people and still build the resources we need to do ministry. Because at the end of the day, isn't it nice to have something over your head? Yeah? Do you love the cool air conditioning? Yes? Agreed? All of that takes money, but we have the ability right here in this room on this campus and with Edgewood, to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine God to do. It would simply be when we started giving because he has given so much to us, amen? So let me pray for you, and then we're gonna sing one song before we leave. God, we love you, we thank you for today. We pray, God, that you would use this to spur us on towards love and good deeds. I pray that you would help us to take the next step, either from giving nothing to giving something, to giving something significant, to a threshold giving, where we're not worried about the gross or the net because the bottom line it doesn't matter. It's the beginning of our, our thought. And then Lord, just help us to be extravagant because you are so extravagant to us. Help us to give in a spirit-filled above and beyond approach. Whatever our next step be, may we know that it's not less of a next step than others. So God, call us to take the step you want us to. And then the Lord, help us to move from emotion to conviction a deep-seated, rooted, decision in which we follow you and we become obedient to you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus name. Amen.